This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All this week on NBC4, new products to new technology. Susan Hogan is showing you how local restaurants are changing the way we dine in and take out in this new world. Tonight at 6. A new twist on outdoor eating. A lot of it is creating flexibility. How one local restaurant is making their outdoor space mobile, giving you plenty of sunshine and social distance for a stress-free meal. It's all part of restaurant revitalization. Tonight at 6 on NBC4, working for you. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico's. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Hello, good evening and welcome to the Fatback 4 Daily this is Wednesday night. This is Wednesday night's Fatback 4 Daily. I can't remember the, the date because I never do. And most people that watch this realise that from now. So I'm going to try to stop giving you the date at the start of every show. This is a course brought to you by Paddy Power. Paddy Power is a bookies. It's a website. It's an app. If you want to gamble and you do gamble, please gamble responsibly. And if you do so, try with Paddy Power. Paddy Power has all your odds on football, Liverpool, special on Liverpool, uh, you know, sports, everything else beyond there as well. So as I said, if you want to gamble, gamble responsibly and try do so with Paddy Power. Tonight's show is going to be centred around Everton Football Club um, instead of Liverpool tonight. During the international breaks, I usually take a the opportunity, I suppose, to have a look at other clubs, um, how they're getting on, how they f- their fans feel they're getting on, what's the plan, what's the expectations for the season. I have done so in the last international break with, with, with Spurs, United, um, Arsenal. Um, amongst others. And tonight it's the turn of Everton. Uh, the man joining me tonight is a man off Twitter that I find one of the most straight talking Everton fans you will come across. It's Mr. Dave Downey. Dave, how are you? I'm great, mate. Pleasure to join you. Good, good, good. Dave, before we go back and look at, you know, go back a little bit into the past and probably a little bit into the future, I just want to go with the present. Um, Two wins from eight, Dave, 18 position, seven points. Uh, you dropped into the bottom three due to Newcastle's win over Manchester United. It's just not going well, Dave, is it? Um, I think that's a bit of an understatement given the, the start of the season that we all thought we'd had. Um, I mean, the, the, the transfer market, just to give a bit of context, the transfer market didn't end particularly well because we were desperate to get in another centre-half. Um, that, for all intents and purposes, looked like it was going to be Kurt Zuma for quite a long time um, and it sort of feels reading between the lines of what the club tried to do was to hold out as long as they possibly could to 
for, for Chelsea to sort of give us the green light on going in for him permanently or, or on another low maybe. Um, and that's why they didn't go in for another centre-half at the time. And that left just Yeri Mina and Michael Keane. Yeri Mina, very untested at Premier League level, although he, he has had his moments. And uh, Michael Keane, who, who had a really good season, a, a bit of a redemptive season last last season. Um, and he really come to the fore. And then looking at the fixture list, I, I think, I mean, I must have said this, this, um, this fact a million times recently, but we were the only side in the Premier League to not have uh, a game against the top six side from last season in our first six games. So the opportunity was there to lay down a marker, um, and, and really push and show our intent to try and break into this top six when, as you guys will know yourselves, there's a real vulnerability for several clubs in and around the side from yourselves in Manchester City. I think it's pretty much wide open for those other spots and obviously two of those are Champions League spots. So um, I think the club in, in its investments in, in certain players in the summer probably had that idea in mind themselves and that's probably the backdrop of why it's been so disappointing after after these opening opening games and to, to see us only pick up two victories one which was a pretty turgid affair against Watford and then the second was a pretty entertaining game to be honest against Wolves um, you look at the sides where we've lost I mean Bournemouth, Aston Villa Sheffield United at home and now Burnley away, those four defeats are sides that you just simply can't lose to albeit the difficult places to go when you're playing them away from home even even the home record, which was being brilliant. I mean, I'm, I'm sure every Evertonian that, that loads of Liverpool fans will meet will remind them of the end towards the end of last season and the draw we picked up in the derby and some of the big six sides that we beat then. Um, and it, it just sort of felt that Goodison was a fortress once again. And to have Sheffield United, a newly promoted side, come to our own backyard and basically just they didn't really have to turn up and beat us 2-0. That felt like alarm bells were ringing, and then to see what we did uh, in that game against Burnley, I think there's um, there's some real daggers out for the manager right now. So I mean, it really couldn't have gone much worse than it has it has in these opening few games. And then you look a little bit further afield in, in six games time. Can you tell I've studied these fixtures, by the way? Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> in in six games time, uh, we have the dreaded Anfield derby on the fourth of December. Yeah. And, and that's the start of a really difficult period for us in terms of fixtures. We play, I think, five of last season's top six inside of seven games up to New Year's Day, um, including four on the bounce starting with Liverpool. So the, these next six games could potentially be huge. And I mean, I, I'm generally quite a pessimist in, in life in general, but you know, when you, you look at the, the current situation to have seven points from the the games we've had so far, you're looking at having to get a really decent return from these next six in order to weather the drought that may come in in that December run. So it, it feels it feels right now that we're on the precipice of of sort of a bit of a fork in the road with Marco Silva, and I genuinely believe just that the feedback we've had in the last few days since that Burnley defeat, the the majority of Evertonians would happily see him replaced right now. It's interesting you say that at the end to say that the majority of Evertonians would have him replaced because I, I get the I get the sense that it's it, it's very much a split camp and mm. the, the hardest thing you know when you when you look at a fan base and, and I've watched Liverpool Liverpool fan bases when Julio was there even when Benitez was there when they got kind of split and it's a horrible place to be when you've a split yeah. fan base because half of them are supporting you know looking to support the manager the rest the other half don't want the manager there and then mm. the whole lot of them argue between each other which is no good for anybody um 
just a quick question that's come in here as well, and I will get to it later. Um, the, the, the Chris here is asking about the is board level letting you down with regards to mm. the planning, um, no contingency for not getting Zoom, or like you've mentioned, and not really finding a solution for Lukaku, um, which for yeah. him isn't something, um, and he's not saying it's easy. You know, I will, I will, I will get to that later on. So I just want mm-hmm. to, want you to keep that in mind. Um, yeah. But but looking at everything, you mentioned the Sheffield United game. I watched that game. And I think afterwards, I think it was yourself that tweeted and said, you know, it, it was, it was, it was a shocking performance from everything. Let's be honest. Like yeah. when, when you end up with Tia Walcott playing right back for the last 15 or 20 minutes, there's <laughs> yeah. something seriously wrong because how Tia Walcott is a, a player for a team that would be hoping to be pushing sixth, seventh or eighth in the league is beyond mm. me. That's, that's just my opinion on, on Tia Walcott yeah, yeah. and has yeah. been for a long time. But when I watched that game, it, they looked like a side that had been put together by four yeah. or five different guys. They really did. Mm. And Sheffield United found them out very easily. Let them get to the byline. Let them hit the ball in the box and we'll deal with it. And, yeah. and we catch them on the break. But uh, look, it's only eight games in, Dave. You know, things can change very quickly. But you make yeah. you make a decent point. You, you have got six games and then you go to Anfield and then not only have you a, t- a tough stretch, but you also have a stretch where injuries start coming in, suspensions yeah. start coming in, legs start to go a little bit over that Christmas period. Uh, right now... Uh, you know, as things stand, and, and for argument's sake, say Marco Silva did stay. Uh, yeah. Can you can you see a way over? I can see. And I don't, a way mean, out I don't mean relegation and stuff like that because I don't <laughs> think it will go down. I don't. I genuinely don't think no. that everything will go down. But can you see any light at the end of this tunnel for for what he's trying to do? I think there's a way back for him because I think he proved towards the end of last season, like I was saying a little bit earlier, that he can turn things around given. Some time, and you know, he, he looked to be the, And this is the real frustrating thing for me, Gav, is that we look to be a side that very much learned from its mistakes. If you look at those last half dozen games, particularly at Goodison, um, I think we beat Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United, got the draw with yourselves. It, it really positive results at Goodison Park, which ultimately I think gave Marco Silva plenty of time going into this season. Um, and it looked as if he'd addressed everything, all the concerns that we had. And last season was very much a, a season defined by two derbies, I think, because we we had a really good run. I think we went into the, the Anfield derby, the infamous Pickford one. Mm. Um, we, we were in sixth place going into that and, and very much on the crest of a wave. We, we I think we got a really decent draw away at Chelsea, which we should have won. Um, that was nil-nil. We went to Anfield with our tails up. Should have scored a couple of goals as well early on. You probably remember Gomez's um, header, which is mm. cleared off the line by Trent, I think it is. And then uh, Yeri Mina has a really good chance in the first minute. And Walcott round as the goalkeeper. There were a few opportunities, more more opportunities than we've had at Anfield in recent years. So that yeah. was a real decent blueprint, I thought, for Marco Silva to take forward as as how we should be performing away at these big sides. And, and that, for me, was the, the crux of when we got Marco Silva in. I thought we'd have a manager that would approach these games in that way, in that pragmatic way, thinking that, well, yeah, OK, we're, we're going to have to do our fair share of defending here. They're probably going to have most possession, but we can hit. You're on the break. We do have players who are quick. You, you know, you've got Richarlison in there who, who likes to run for fun. You've got Bernard. It, we, the pieces seem to be there to be, to turn us into a really decent counter-attacking outfit, and that looked like the way it was going um, towards the, towards that that particular game. And then after that, it, it just went. On, we went on a really dreadful run. I think he probably could have lost his job when we went out to the FA Cup to Millwall. Yeah, he in uh, in last January, that that felt like a real a real low point for him. 
And then again, like I say, to his credit, I think he, he slowly started to, to fix the problems that were there. And that was zonal marking, which is a massive um, cause for debate amongst Evertonians. Um, he started to address that. We started keeping clean sheets. And in fact, up until that uh, Wolves game that we won 3-2 at Goodison recently, we hadn't conceded a goal since February at Goodison Park, which mm. is, is quite the turnaround, really. So you can see why he put a lot more credit in the bank going into this season. Um, and then you, you look at that fixture list and you think that's a real chance to kick on. You can't waste that opportunity when you're looking to do something a bit better than what you've seen in recent years. And let's face it, in, in my lifetime, I'm, I'm 31 years old. In, in my lifetime, we've largely been, to be honest, average at best. Um, you know, say for the, the cup win when I was seven years old, the best we've done is finish fourth in the Premier League. You know, if, if we're going to have a real reality check here. Everton, uh, to all intents and purposes, are a mid-table side, mid to higher table side that should be competing for the Europa League place in a normal season. We used to have the tag, the best of the rest, and things like that. I think, I think now the the alarm bell should be there for most fans of the football club. That even though we've made these considerable investments, which the question from Chris I think alluded to a little bit earlier, which we'll get on to, um, even though we've had that investment, which should be shaking up the top four, if we were honest with ourselves, having 400 odd million spent in three years, even that's the, that being the case, it still feels as if the other sides, i.e. Leicester, um, I think Wolves themselves as well, have very much caught us up, and that, that isn't a default position for Everton anymore. Um, when it was the traditional top four, we used to be fifth all the time. It was we were the best of the rest then. When it became a top six, we were traditionally the seventh place side because there was quite the chasm between sixth and seventh, and then the yours and then everybody else behind us. It feels as if we've either been drawn back into that pack or the rest of them caught us. It's probably a combination of both if we were to go into it. But the issue you've got is when you are making those considerable investments and you go and get a director of football like Marcel Brands who, who has been championed and I'm sure everybody listening to this, Liverpool fans listening to this will will know the sort of uh, fun and games that Evertonians got up to with that on social media saying he was you know, as good as the second coming and uh, you know, basically walked around like Vince McMahon off the WWE yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> as if he's got some sort of bravado and, and things like that which was all good fun at the time but when the reality hits we went into the season massively undercooked in, in defensive positions and without, like like Chris's question alluded to again, a, a relevant replacement to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Now, many people will point to Moise Keane as being that, but he's a 19-year-old kid that had his difficulties with Juve in, in regards to racism and, and, and things yeah, like that. Yeah, he had that. an awful time. He did, and I think it's completely unfair, regardless of how good this lad may turn out to be, to put that burden of pressure of coming and being a 20 goal a season striker at the age of 19. And, and I'm not Carver Lewin's biggest critic, um, but I simply don't see him as a striker that will get you even double figures in a season. I think he's, he's a good link up player. He'll get the odd goal here or there, but he's certainly not a prolific goal scorer. And whilst you're asking this rigid formation that Silver plays, while you're asking him to be the focal point of the attack, whilst he is bringing other people into play, whilst he's holding it up and running channels and things like that, which is all fantastic, it doesn't really work when there's only him there. There's no, there's nobody else for him to play the ball to, for instance, or if he's giving it to a Richarlison or Bernard, he should be the one getting in the box, and he's not, and and, and that's a real issue there. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, as you can tell, the, the, there's a plethora of problems going on at the club right now um, that, that stem back quite some time. But I, I just want to pick up on a point that you made there. Gav was a, 
this feels like a side that's been put together by several different managers, and that's exactly right. And oh, uh, it is because I I, yeah. I I I have a list here of players that were brought in by different managers, right? And yeah. you know, like I, I suppose I can go on to it. You know, like Holgate is the only player signed by Martinez that I can see in this yeah. squad, right? Kilman brings in Schneidlin, Sigurdsson. Am I right? Mm, Calvert yeah. Leon, Pickford, uh, Keane. And Tom Davis is promoted from your under twenty three side. Yeah. Allardyce brings in Tolson and Walcott, if I'm right. Yeah. And Silva has brought in Richarlison, Mina, Dinier, um or Luca Dean, as 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 I think is the proper way to say it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Andre Gomez, Bernard, uh who else has he got? He's Delph Sadibi, Moise Keane and Awobi. All right. Yeah. Um I might be missing one or two out there. That if you look at that squad and I ask you to pick your best eleven for Everton, yeah, you're probably going Three managers, anyway. Yeah, you are. Maybe, you are. maybe the Kilman slash Silva, you could probably do without Tolson and Walcott. But yeah. again, you're still going with a squad that, as you said, four hundred million pumped in, and you're still looking at. It, it, it doesn't feel like to me. I'm going to be honest. It doesn't feel like to me that it's a squad that that manager has put his mark on yet. And that sounds a crazy thing to say, mm. but you know, somebody else says there they couldn't understand how. Everton persisted on um, the centre-back from Chelsea. I mean, his name has yeah. gone completely on my head. He couldn't... Zuma. Zuma. Yeah. They, now, Zuma was really good for Everton last season, and yeah. you make a good point. They did sort out this zonal marking thing because the media, Sky Sports and everything made a lot of it. And listen, I listen to... I listen to podcasts where Everton fans are on and, and they were pointing it out. It was, it was as clear as day what was going on. They yeah. did try to do something there. But but they were never going to get Zuma, were they? Because Chelsea had a transfer ban under them. And, you know, you see there, they, they were willing to let um, David mm-hmm. Luiz go to Arsenal. So it was, is that a lack of planning? Or <clears throat> is it a naivety in the transfer market where you think, oh, we can go and get Zuma, he was great for his last season, mm-hmm. without actually thinking, well, that team aren't going to let him go. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that that's exactly the way that you use Gav. It is naivety. Mm-hmm. And and I think that, that would probably cover the last four managers and probably... Farhad Mashiri's tenure as uh, as the the main investor in the football club for, for the last three years, you know, because I think all the goodwill in the world is there, and and that's what makes it all the more frustrating. I mean, you can feasibly say, and and I'm sure many of your listeners will enjoy me saying this, but I, I can't think of a team, possibly Man United, might be one to cite as well, which I'm sure they'll equally enjoy, having invested that sort of money and actually got worse. Um, because I look, think you know, you mentioned the, the, the sort of the Frankenstein makeup of this squad, with citing those other managers that we've had uh, and the players that are still there from those regimes. But you look at the captain, James Coleman. Um, he was a David Moyes signing. David Moyes left the club what when they're on six years ago now, seven years in 2020. Um, it feels as if. Like, you know, when, when Kuman was there, we bought a, a whole host of number 10s. We had Sigurdsson, Davy Class, and, and, and Rooney back. And that whole way in Rooney move was for sentimental reasons. And, and that's another bugbear of mine, which I'm sure we'll get onto. But we are a club that is rife with sentiment. We, mm. we, we love sentiment. We always love having a nod towards you guys across the park. Well, it's, um, it's, it's like United. United are being sentiment yeah. and romantic with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. It of doesn't course. work. It does not work, Dave. No. You, you no, know. no, you're, you're absolutely right. It doesn't work, and and the reason being, you know, you'll see it right now, Gav. You you look on Everton social media, and, and people will be asking the question, okay, you want Marco Silva to leave, um, and and I basically I I think that he's 
he, he's probably done enough, or he hasn't done enough, whichever way you look at it, to keep his job. Okay, so if we if we sit here and say, okay, Marcus Silva, we're going to sack him, we're going to sack him now and bring in somebody else. The, the the issue you've got is, well, who's available and what is feasible for for Everton to go and do. So many people's opinion is would would, would range from Duncan Ferguson to Mikel Arteta to Tim Cahill. Uh, to David Unsworth, who, who does, a, does a great job managing the under-23s, but was, fa- was found wanting when he finally got uh, his foot in the door to managers for five weeks when, when Koeman left before we got Allardyce. Mm-hmm. They're the names that many Evertonians will put out there, and I can't really understand that, because they, they their first answer, if you ask them why you would pick those people, they would say, well, they get the club. They understand the well, club. Yeah, and I don't want to, to be, with all due respect to them, and I've enjoyed each of them when they've been players at our football club. Tim Cale, for instance, brilliant for as a talisman, probably as close as we get to a modern day legend. Um, Arteta, similar. He was brilliant for us when he was playing for us before he went to Arsenal. Completely get that. That's fine. Right. But can you, can you tell me if they get Everton? The Everton that they get is still a trophyless football club. When they've played for us over the years, it hasn't been in a way that they're familiar with winning trophies. It's been it's been fourth fourth for one season and Europa League for the rest of it. So I don't quite understand why people would make that argument. They get the football club because it's not exactly like the the the, the steeped in success whilst they've been there. You know, it, it would work years ago if you were to if you were to ask me this question fifteen twenty years ago, and you said who, who do you want to get in. I could probably make a piece with somebody saying maybe, okay, Graham Sharp, for instance, won a couple of titles with us, or uh, I don't know, Peter Reid, maybe, who had a stint at management. I can I can get on board with them, you know, their actual personal records as managers notwithstanding, but there's an excuse to be able to say, okay, they get Everton because they've been and done it, they've won titles, and they know what success means at Goodison Park. To say it now, I think sounds really, really basic. I think it sounds, it just feels like platitudes to me. The same sort of thing that clubs put out when they're, when they're not winning games. Like Seamus Coleman's been in the media quite recently talking about how we need to put things right. I don't think fans need to hear that. I don't know what purpose it serves. And it very much feels like that same stream of thought comes into their heads when they're talking about, well, I'd love Tim Cale to come back as an assistant manager because he gets what it's like to be an Evertonian. I don't want him to know what it's, I don't want the manager to know what it's like to be an Evertonian because it's been hard enough for so many years. Well, if you, if you, if, like you, you if you look at the names that you've mentioned there, right? Yeah. If you look at the names you've mentioned there, these are all players, Duncan Ferguson, Unsworth, um, Art, even Arteta, you know, yeah. uh, these players, these were all players in Everton sides that were, had a real kind of, in your face attitude and it was worth you know, like wasn't it yeah and and yeah. listen the Everton fans liked it you know the, you know yeah. <clears throat> they, they came out they fought they, they gave everything they gave a lot of clubs a hell of a hard time especially but that's in the Park. absence Gav, that that's in the absence of any real quality but this is where so, you, you know this you, is where I'm going yeah listen the in in today's in today's in today's game, right? You can be as hard working as you like. You know, yeah. I'll put it to you this way: Sam Allardyce, right? And I'm not going to mention him with regards to Everton because I I don't think you want to either. But, <laughs> but Sam Allardyce, if you look at Sam Allardyce's Bolton side from about 15 years ago, right? Yeah. Um, that they were in your face. They worked hard. They played the channels. They were aggressive. They were robust. Uh, they wouldn't last five minutes in this league. 
No. They wouldn't no, well, look, because look, look the technical stars. ability of teams in this league now and the protection players get from officials and VAR, they, they wouldn't get away with it. And no. you're, you're mentioning, you, you're mentioning, and I don't think you're mentioning them by saying, you're, you're clearly saying like these, these people wouldn't work. And they wouldn't work because if you no. brought them in and said, oh, we're given, now Arteta might be a little bit different to the rest because of what he's doing at the moment. But yeah. if you, if you look at the, if you look at the names you've mentioned there and, and Everton fans, are, I don't believe Everton fans are going to stand for. Uh, Duncan Ferguson is the new manager of Everton Football Club, and he comes out and says we're going to be aggressive. We're going to be. The-. It'll only last so long, and then Duncan mm. Ferguson will be, they'll be calling for his head. Well, the proofs the proofs in the pudding, isn't it, Gav? Because you you look at uh, managers that have stayed on probably well past their sell by date. So I'm thinking Tony Pulis, you know, effectively West Brom go down. He managed them for that season. No, he probably wasn't responsible. He might well have even kept them up, but. That style of football has slowly been eradicated from the modern game, and you're absolutely right. I, I don't think there's a place for it. Even even the sides you look that have come up this season, if you, if you were to look at an example, say um, Aston Villa, for instance, or Norwich, they, they they love to play off from the back. They love to get the ball down. They love to play in wing, wingers. They love to play through their midfields. They're not hoofing it up to a striker. They're not they're not playing like a Neil Warnock side or a Tony Pulis side of old, they realise that it takes something more to be in this league now. And football has evolved. It's why, you know, it's why Mourinho struggled recently at United, I think, because he's very much of that old school way of thinking. Obviously not route one all the time, but it's 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 all about tactics from a bygone era with those type of managers. Um, and like you say, Arteta might well be the exception, but I don't think you can hire somebody who hasn't had any club management at all, given Everton's current plight, which is in 18th position. We need we need points on the board. It's simple as that. Ridiculous as it might sound, with 30 games to go in the Premier League season, uh, Everton still needs to get some points on the board before that dreadful run in December. Um, and I would make the point to people who are desperate for Marco Silva to be sacked. I, I'm probably in the camp of I think he deserves to lose his job but then like I said before if you look at alternatives out there realistic ones that is does it make sense to get rid of him and go for somebody because we, we're probably still going to be shopping in the same market mm-hmm. for as as Marco Silva was as as Ronald Koeman was i.e. taking a manager from a club that you probably consider a little bit less less than Everton uh, for instance that Eddie Howe maybe someone like that and you basically just reinvent the wheel. And and the piece I wrote recently, I said that we need to get out of this sort of cyclical nature of okay, right, we'll go and appoint the next best thing. We'll go and appoint somebody who wants to play attacking football, has a real decent reputation amongst players, which which Marco Silva did. Might not necessarily, he'll be rough around the edges, hasn't necessarily got the best record to back him up. Um, but we'll put him in there and let's hope that he becomes a modern day David Moyes. And it just doesn't work, so you press the panic button, sack them. You're still going to be paying them off for a couple of years as well, which also hemorrhages a bit more cash from the, the coffers to add to the millions that have already been spent. And then you, you go and looking again for somebody to come in and do a fix-it job like a, like a Sam Allardyce or, you know, even Moyes himself. Now I'm sure he, he's been touted about as an alternative to, to maybe get us through to the end of the season. That's the sort of thing you do. So I think we really need to start asking different questions when when we're going through this process and that's again added to the, the dismay that's about at the moment because in going appointing Mar- Marcel Brands as the director of football it, very, it felt very much like we were reverting to a European model of football um, where the director of football is probably more important than the manager mm-hmm. and you could basically I, th- I think it's Napoli who've done it in recent years where 
the the director of football has been the most important figure of the club, and the manager has been well, effectively, let's call him a coach. It, it it hasn't had the importance as we put it you know, put on it over here in England. So basically, they should have a conveyor belt of managers. It doesn't really matter because that director of football is the person that installs the philosophy at the club. They're the ones who go through the c- recruitments, and they basically work in tandem with the manager of the day. So it doesn't matter as much if you're moving on to a different manager. Now, while you want to adapt adapt that model to your club, like you say there, it's it's pretty difficult to do when you've got a mishmash of, of players from managers that have gone by and you're asking the manager to come in and say to him, OK, look, we've got these targets here. We want to get in the top six. We'll probably take Europa League. We need to progress in domestic cup competitions. You're asking the manager, and this is where I do have sympathy with Silva, to come in. And do that under the parameters of a director of football that's trying to get his his own house in order. And to, just to go back to the investment point you made, I think that the money Everton have spent and wasted, let's be honest, you look at the, the other names on your list there, like uh, Balassi, Sam, oh, well, listen, I didn't, I didn't go through the names that have come in and gone because well, the, still it, it looked, books, it looked, that, that's the know, problem here. Yeah, it looked they're a long on, list. Yeah, I mean, they're still on the books and that's the problem, Gav, because we can't hope to offload these players because nobody will take their wages. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at Sandro Ramirez coming, I think he signed a five-year deal. He's in the third of those years now and we're still loaning him out, still paying most of his wages. Same with Yannick Balassi, bought him for silly, I mean, to time 30 million quid on him. Mm. You look at Liverpool, went and got money for that money at the time. Yeah. Um, and, and you're loaning him out. That That sort of financial burden on the football club makes things all the more difficult because... Marcel Brands, as, as fantastic as he may be, he isn't blameless in all this. But again, you have sympathy with him because he's still got to get these wages off the books before you go out and invest more in, in players that you might want for the manager that you've got now. So it, it's just a mess all over the place. And, you know, it, it, a lot of people are pointing to the shining light that might well be the new stadium, which is fine. And, and, and that's, it generally fills me with optimism. I think it's very much needed. But, let me just put a point to you, and, and I think it's something that I think not many people sort of think about. But you look at teams that have just built stadiums in this in this league. Yeah. Take the two take the two North London clubs for instance. You look at Arsenal when they built the Emirates; they didn't really invest in their it squad. Took them ten whilst, years. Whilst they were in, whilst they were making the stadium, whilst they were building the stadium, they really didn't invest, and it drove Arsenal fans crazy because they were like, "How are we going to ever compete at the top of the league again?" Whilst we're not spending any money on the players. Well, David Dean had come out and say, well, we've got a stadium to build. We can't give with both hands. Similarly, at Spurs, they didn't sign a player at all last season. Pochettino was a miracle worker as far as I'm concerned in getting them to where they got. Um, but what in both of those situations, Arsenal firstly and then Spurs, both had squads that could weather the drought and still keep them in touch with that top four. You put that those circumstances on this Everton squad right now and you're looking at something that's potentially really dangerous because if Fahad Mishiri was to say right okay we're going to ease back on squad spending because we've got to pay for this stadium which is what half a billion or whatever you can't tell me that that, that it's sustainable that Everton are going to be a top half side I, I would I would hazard a guess that Everton would be a struggling side in the Premier League if you were to say right now you, you're going to sign maybe one or two players per season whilst we build this stadium, which isn't going to be ready for another four. Four years down the line, Everton, they had one or two players to what they've got now. 
I think the warning signs are there. And I don't mean to be a doom monger amongst our own fan base, but it feels very much like things need to be put in place and we need to be getting things right immediately. Not, not you know, another project, not another manager who's going to take four or five years. I, I don't believe that the football club can sustain spending as it is now and supplement the new building of a stadium. Either the way. It's it simply... It's simply not doable, and, and and you'd be crazy to ask any investor, possibly apart from City, um, to be able to maintain that on on and off the pitch. Well, and that's where Everton have got a massive problem in the years to come. Well, well you see, the thing is, and and what will happen is, and you do see a little bit now. It, it's bad for Everton, you know. I've watched yeah. them a few times. Um, there's certain players they have there. I rate. There's certain players. They have. I don't rate. Um, mm. I, I feel some are underrated, some are overrated. That happens with most squads. That's that's absolutely fair enough. But the trouble you could get into, Dave, is you're holding this stadium as a beacon of of, of hope, right? Mm. And you're taking your eye off everything else that's going on. The, the the point on Marcel Brands is a good one. He's done quite a good job, from what I can make out, of getting yeah. certain players out of the club. But you are still left with the likes of of Balassi. Balassi is the standout one, probably. Okay. Yeah. But like. It, it, the only way I could put this to you is, right, everything needs that, like, for argument's sake, if you're telling me that stadium is, is half a billion, throw another 25% mm. on top of that, Dave. We all see these yeah. stadiums. They don't come in on budget. They never do. Spores no. went spores went through the roof. It was meant to be 600 million. I think it ended up at a billion. You know, the yeah. sort of way. Um, but look, for me, everything needs to make a plan. And, and I've seen, and I'm going to come on to a few things. Like, people are asking, like, North Red on the, on the, YouTube chat there is saying, would you take Moyes back, right? People are mm. saying, Mikel Arteta, you know, some people have mentioned Mourinho. I've seen Simeone mentioned. For me, Dave, there that's point the sky stuff. Of course it um, is. It's yeah. absolutely point the sky stuff because yeah. Jose Mourinho, like you said, is not going to come into a club where they're going to go, listen, we're building a stadium in three years, but mm. you're, you're not going to get any money. And Simeone is not going to leave a, a team that's vying for La Liga titles and possibly Champions Leagues yeah. to go into Everton, right? But but I don't agree with the Moyes thing either till the end of the season. If you're going to mm. if you're going to if you're going to sack um Silva and I'll be perfectly honest with you, I think Silva got overhyped the whole. Um I think yeah. they were absolutely atrocious. I think he managed to get a couple of results and people thought he was he was brilliant. Um yeah. that's just me. He ended up he ends up at Watford and then all that sort of stuff happens with everything and you know you know what happened and I know what happened. Yeah. Um but I don't agree with the Moyes thing either. I think if you're gonna sack Marco Silva tomorrow or in a week's time, or two weeks' time, you need to pick a man that you're going to say, listen, we want this man leading us into that stadium in four or five, how many years' time it is, and we're mm. going to give him the time. Because all you're yeah. going to end up is on this merry-go-round where it goes around and around and around, and before you know it, you've a squad of 25 players, and they were signed by seven different guys, and you're yeah. staring down the barrel of a stadium, and you're hovering over relegation zone, if not worse. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that plan? And if you would agree with that plan... Between me and you, could we come up with a name where we go, just put him in there and and tell him from day one, this yeah. is what we're going to do and we're going to back you to the hilt regardless. Well, it, it's, a, it's a funny point you make because I, I actually think that that was the whole idea with Marco Silva. Okay. It's just gone that badly wrong this season. The, again, like you say, we're staring down the battle is, is the perfect analogy in all of this because it feels very much like Groundhog Day once again. Um, it was the same plan with Koeman. When he come in, um, cost a lot of money to prize him away from Southampton. Mm-hmm. Uh, give him X amount to spend un- under uh, Steve Walsh, who was the, the previous director of football. 
I mean, you, you're literally burning cash in, in front of people's eyes. The, the recruitment that went on that, that year um, was unforgivable. Um, and, and I certainly hold all the people who were involved accountable for that at the time. Again, to Mashiri's credit, he, he paid for the change. You know, he, he paid the price of that naivety, that word naivety we've been speaking about most of the night so far. Um, he, he ultimately paid the price. And you're absolutely right, that, that plan needs to be in place. And, and I think the one thing that Everton do have in their favour right now is the season's still very young. Like you said, we're only eight games in. If you went make that change, and, and this is the dilemma I think the board have got right now, um, I, I think there'll be people within it who have got itchy feet about this and probably would act and get somebody else in right now. The alternative is the difficult part of this because I would hope Mashiri's learnt his lesson from sacking Koeman and not having, and it was Marco Silva, of course, as we all know, who he had his eyes on back then and he couldn't get him away from Watford at the time, which resulted in five weeks of horrendous results underneath the manager in David Dunsworth. He was desperate for this club to do so well. He's a massive Evertonian. Mm. He's done so well with the under-23s. And it felt to us as fans that he was basically hung out to dry um, because here he was in charge of this side and it just looked like a rudderless ship at the time that nobody was taking any any lead in this and, and trying to find out what the next answer was. And then it resulted in getting Allardyce in, who many would argue, and I would probably... I'd, I'd, I'd agree with them, um, not wholeheartedly, but Allardyce did what you would expect Allardyce to do, come in, batten down the hatches defensively, picked up the points we needed and, and got us to to safety. In hindsight, was that something that we probably should have done at the time? Were, were Everton in a, a critical state to have had to do that? You'd probably say no. I mean, I, I think that... There's, there's fans out there who would say maybe Koeman should have been given a little bit longer to try and turn things around. G- given his attitude and, and the way he was, the stubborn Dutchman, um, it was difficult to, to afford him that time um, because he, he just didn't seem to play ball in regards to making any changes to the squad. It was his way or the highway. Um, so that probably vindicates his second for many people. But you look at what, what went on in the aftermath that led us all the way up to Marco Silva's appointment. It feels as if the, it could not have got much worse than it actually did when he was sacked. And then now we face that same scenario. Um, you, you're asking for a name. Uh, I seen Arsene Wenger talking on the TV yesterday saying that he had offers in England. I know he's, you think it's his birthday in the next couple of days. I think he turns 70. I think you could do a lot worse with somebody who, who wants to get a playing style and philosophy instilled at a football club. Um, but whether uh, is his age, I think that raises obvious concerns. Um, and also, you know, would he want to take on a challenge that looks as as, as much of a puzzle at Everton as you're ever going to get in football right now? There'd be a doubt there. Uh, another name I was looking at today, a little bit more in depth, was Marcelino, who left for Valencia for more political reasons. Probably the only manager in recent years who's done anything decent there. Um, again, I think there might be be a question mark over his way of conducting himself. Um, and then, you know, another one who mentioned to me today, completely from left field, was Bielsa at Leeds. That's, that's, I think, that has come up on the chat about four or yeah. five times here. Well, and, and the thing about that is, I think if you give him a clean slate at the start of the season, let's face it, he's gone into a volatile setup at Leeds. I know it's not as bad as it was a few years ago, but, you know, there's still, there's, there's still difficulties at boardroom level at Leeds, or at least there was when he first got the job. Um, and everybody raised their eyebrows saying this is going to be a complete disaster. And he very nearly guided them. He probably should have guided them into the Premier League this season. 
I think you're getting a manager where absolutely anything could happen. And I don't think Mishiri and everybody else on the board will be willing to make that sort of risk. And I think what happens, Gavin, in these situations with many clubs, and, and it, I think it plays out on the pitch as well, managers, people who run the club, the board, or all of the sort of stakeholders in a football club tend to try and keep things as calm as possible and go with what they know and trust. So if you look at Marco Silva as a case in point, he plays this 4-2-3-1 system that's doing everybody's head in. He sticks with that because he it's what he thinks will change. Um and and it's a bugbear of mine because the same the last four managers that we've had from Martinez, Allardyce, Kuhn and him they've all been guilty of being too stubborn. They will not change things when when it's not working. And it's been the undoing of each and every one of them. And, and it looks like Marco Silva could be the one to pay the price next. Um, it's similar at board level. I think you look at maybe someone like Bill Kenwright, he'll still have a huge say in who the next manager is. If Silva was to go, he'd be sitting there thinking, right, OK, I might well go for a David Moyes. I'm pretty sure David Moyes was a preference when uh, Kuma was sacked in the first place anyway. There were, there were plenty of talks of, of him being the one who, who Bill Kenwright would prefer. Obviously, that that... That sort of tussle at boardroom level is something that we've had to put up with in recent years, whether it's Bill Kenwright steering the ship or Mashiri. I very much feel like it's Mashiri now since he made that investment to take full control of the club last year. Um, so what direction he goes in is, is sort of anyone's guess. But I think if it was left up, left up to Bill Kenwright, I think you'd have David Moyes in charge right now. I think I think it would as well. Um, and mm. I think it'd be a big mistake. I think... Yeah. Wasn't there Sunderland that Moyes went into to try rescue a couple of seasons back and it was absolutely horrific. Um, well, it was associated that before that as well. Well, so, when... yeah, he was under contract with United and he was doing yeah. four different managerial jobs. Um, yeah. but, but he went into Sunderland and he walked in and basically told Sunderland, you're not, you're not good enough. And, and yeah. he basically admitted from the day he sat down in the chair in that press conference that Sunderland weren't going to stay up. Um, that's mm. not what you need to hear from a man. If Moyes walked into Everton tomorrow, and and said it as it is, he could lose a lot of support very quickly, including from yeah. players. Uh, but I I genuinely think looking at it, and after speaking with you for the last forty minutes or so, that for me, Everton need to. They do obviously have to look forward to this stadium. Now people will mock over this stadium. Will it ever happen? Will it this? Will it that? Mm. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't live in the city. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, there's talk of. I don't know. There's all sorts of talk around this stadium. I I. Try stay away from it, to be honest with you. But they need to hold that up, but, but, but put it in the background for the moment. That's yeah. that's not the big issue. I, I do think that, like you said there, Kenroy might have a big say. Mashiri obviously has the, the major say because of the, you know, he upped the stake, um, going back a year, just over a year ago. Yeah. But, there's a little, there's a little fracture that could be there, okay? You have Marcel Brands that's trying to get players out of the club and bring players into the club, but again, he could be working with a different manager every eight to 12 mm-hmm. months, which is not good. They need to, they need to come around, like somebody said to me on this chat earlier, Liverpool made two really good decisions. One was Michael Edwards and two was Jürgen yeah. Klopp. Could it be the same for Everton? That is not a bad point, Dave, because no. if, if they were to turn around and Mishiri was to say, listen, Bill, great, you've done a brilliant job at Everton, but it's time to move on, right? That's the yeah. first thing. If he said to Marcel Brands, listen, I don't want you deciding who we're signing. I want you to work very closely with the manager and both of you come as a package and that's how we're going to go forward. The name I'm going to give to you for this is Rafa Benitez. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, I've seen it thrown around a little bit. 
if you were to turn around to Rafa Benitez, because Rafa Benitez is a head case, all right. Mm. You've seen what he done when he when he when he goes to Real Madrid. They're off the they're off the wall. He he spends that long with Mike Ashley up in Newcastle. How he done it? He he deserves a medal, freedom of cities, <laughs> whatever whatever else he has to be given Nobel Peace Prizes. He, yeah, he deserves that. He and look, he's he's an ex Liverpool manager, the one European Cup yeah. Liverpool manager. But if you watch him under Liverpool, he gets in. Now he wins the European Cup in his fourth season, and I'll be the first one to tell you. It was outrageous, right? It was yeah. completely outrageous for the squad he had, for the teams he came up against. How he done it was be, still beyond me to this day, what, what, 15, yeah, 14, 15 years later. Mm. But if you watch his progression as a Liverpool manager, by the time he gets them to their peak in 08, 09, the football they're playing is brilliant. They're really solid. But he, yeah. he, he moves Gerrard around, he gets him in behind Torres. They're playing a nice brand of football, but at the same time, they're as tough as anything, right? Mm-hmm. I genuinely believe if you said to Rafa Benitez, come to Everton, we're going to give you a five-year deal and we're going to stick with you for five years and you're going to work with this man and bring us back to somebody that, like, let's be honest, like you said earlier, this league is so open for somebody to go in Mm. there and walk into fourth place if they show a bit of courage and a bit of organisation more than anything else because everything else around them is falling apart. You know, yeah. um, United being one, Chelsea looking good at the moment, but that could all go badly wrong. Arsenal are, Mm. are mad as well. I genuinely believe that Rafa Benitez could be the answer. Now, Dave, you can shoot me down, but that's where I would go with. That would be my show. No, I think that's a, a perfectly relevant point. Um, there's, there's Evertonians there. And, and again, you know, we, we spoke a little bit earlier, didn't we, Gab, about how these sorts of scenarios end up causing a rift between fan bases. And it's, it's not a nice atmosphere when you've got half of them wanting the manager to stay and uh, shouting down people for saying that he wants them sacked. And you've got half who saying well we've been here before we need to make another change um, it's not a nice environment and <laughs> very much Rafa Benitez I think will polarise that opinion even more but um, in my opinion for what it's worth I, I think it's, it'd be an outstanding choice um, I, I don't I don't particularly care that he had an affinity with Liverpool no. many Evertonians would make a comment with what he said about us being a small club as far as I'm concerned Gavin again Evertonians might castigate me for this but uh, he's absolutely right when he, when he says those things um, people need to face facts when the football well, club sorry, gets Dave, I, he, yeah. he made the point at the time that he had a small club mentality yeah oh yeah I mean I, 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 and listen, I think he had I, got I a fair blame. point with that yeah, he has got a fair point, absolutely, because we were going to Anfield, and uh, well, ironically, it's much better than our record has been recently. But we go there and try and draw games. There's no escaping that at all. Let's call the spade the spade here. We went there and, and tried to park the bus, um, and he was right in what he said. Uh, obviously, other people have taken that out of context and and had him say ha, have him say that Everton is a small club. Indeed, I was uh, I've spoken to him a couple of times since that actually, um, and he he always laughs and sort of shrugs his shoulders, saying that it was a little bit mischievous in what he said. Absolutely, um, it was. Dave Moyes oh, done the course. same thing, didn't Dave oh, Moyes yeah, call themselves well, the People's Club and stuff like that? So yeah, you know the yeah. kind of way. I mean, well, that's but again, Gav, just just a wider point on that before I go on to talk a little bit more about Rafa. Those sort of things don't help anybody. No. Um, as far as I'm the concerned, come back on you. exactly on the on the blue the blue half um, because you've got constant and and I think if in the hearts of hearts, even the most staunchest of Evertonians would think and would say there's such an obsession with Liverpool um, and and that's done nobody any favours whatsoever. Even the club's own marketing team. You look at like my season ticket that I get every season. Um, there's always a reference to one of our songs that will contain Liverpool. So um, we had one one year on the card. It would say, we go the game. 
it's what we do type of thing. And there always seems to be even sometimes a subconscious reference to to Liverpool and being you know the, the, the senior club in the city. I, I, I honestly don't care about any of that. I, I really could not care less. I'm th- again, I repeat, I'm 31 years old. I want to see my club have some success, regardless of what Liverpool do. And I think the current situation, obviously, chasm between the clubs has never been as big as it ever has been, certainly in my lifetime. Um, You look at what you guys are doing, which is absolutely spectacular. But just to to draw a bit of a line in the sand with that, I mean, you you look back to the semi-final when when Liverpool beat us to to play Chelsea in 2012. There was very little between the two clubs. Um, I think we'd finished above Liverpool a couple of times. And obviously sixth and seventh and things like that. And it wasn't a great time for either club really, but particularly Liverpool in the aftermath of the Hodgson situation and whatnot. Um, you look at that period of time, there wasn't too much between the clubs when you look at the quality of players that were on show. Um, indeed, I think it'd be you, you guys who, and people listening to this would say it was probably quite a difficult time to be a red right yeah, then. Um, absolutely. Around before, well, obviously in the Hodgson era, but even just in the aftermath when John Henry with Dal Gleish, the difficulties in moving him yeah, but on. That, but, that, like but, that. That, but that was the romantic time. You see, yeah, you know, exactly. Hodgson was a, was a was a clusterfuck of a of a yeah. of a, an appointment. Let's be perfectly honest with it. He yeah. did he his style of football didn't suit us. The way he carries himself didn't suit us. The things that come out of his mouth just didn't. You know, Liverpool over anybody else, I think, in the world, put their managers on pedestals. All right, and this man. You know, could you imagine trying to even attempt to put Roy Hodgson on a pedestal um, no. when it comes to being Liverpool manager? They went and they done the Daglish thing. It got yes, he done okay. He gets two cup finals, he wins the league cup, but it never lasted. It never no. lasted, and but it never would, the, Dave. No, but that's the point that I was making again. I mean, it, it, it goes back to our point earlier on about sentiments of football yeah, clubs, absolutely. doesn't it? And and it doesn't work, as you say, as you quite rightly pointed out. But the, what what I'm trying to say with that is. There wasn't too much between the clubs at that time. You look at the difference six years on. I mean, you, you, you're, we're on the verge, I believe, of Liverpool creating some sort of dynasty in, in the game. You, you look, we mentioned the troubles of other clubs, but you look at the, this thing with Manchester City right now. I actually think Liverpool have got the noses ahead of Man City, not only in terms of the Premier League, but just the way everything is working now. Um, it's a well-oiled machine. It's a juggernaut. And it just looks like it's going to be relentless. There's an eight-point gap at the top of the Premier League. And I, I, I promise you, I'm not trying to cry this in, but I don't see Liverpool dropping much more than eight points throughout the whole season. They've been that good. Conversely, you look at Everton's situation and it couldn't be further from that. We're a club basically in a little bit of turmoil right now. Yet yeah, just six years ago, they were relatively neck and neck. And it's all been about getting that director of football and managerial relationship that you've got between the likes of Edwards and Klopp. Uh, we haven't had that. We were sort of trying to replicate it, but still not getting things right when it when it's been done. Um, but just to go back to the Rafa points, why it's such a good shout for me is you've seen what he did at Newcastle. He wouldn't have that sort of upheaval at boardroom level when he no. when he come into Everton either. So he'd have steadier waters with which to start with. Um, he'd have financial support as well. Um, which, which obviously he didn't get in Newcastle and it was a massive issue for him there. And I, complete, I completely agree with you. I, I think he's a world-class manager um, who, you know, we talk about the Real Madrid thing, the Napoli thing. Rafa Benitez is a football purist. 
he, yeah. I, I have no doubt in my mind, and, and I think he's actually said it in interviews that we've done with him in the past, he goes home and watches football. He goes home, gets his iPad out, and he's drawing lines all over the pitch. He's, he's, he's just obsessed by the game. He's in it to manage. He doesn't need the money. He's got ridiculous amounts of money in his career. He's set for life. He's got a wonderful place over the water here, which uh, I play golf next to quite regularly. He's absolutely set. He doesn't need any of that. What Rafa's, and that's why he's probably gone to China because it's something a little bit different. People would say, oh, he's gone to China because they're offering ridiculous amounts of money. That might just be a bit of a byproduct, and yet they're probably right, but he's gone there because he thinks he can make a difference to a different culture of football. He's, a, he's an obsessive with football tactics, everything. He, he loves full control of things like that, and I'd love somebody like that at the helm of Everton, and I can't, I can't deny it, nor would I want to because I think he, he is top class, and it, would he be unattainable? I don't think he would. I think it, it'd take somebody, a bit of Somebody hardware. says there he's on about 17 million a year in China. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. I mean, that, but, you know, if you go there, that's what you're going to get. I'm not going to make any bones. But you're not, the man's not going to sit there and complain at making that amount of money. Yeah. But I mean, why the point is, he'll have gone there still for footballing reasons. Yeah. Um, he's not, just, not just, just lucky that they're throwing money away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, why wouldn't you if they are offering that? I'm not sure there's anybody in the world who wouldn't take it. Um, but the, the wider point I'm trying to make is he stays in football for those reasons that he wants to constantly be involved. You see him all the time. He doesn't even celebrate goals. He sits there with a notepad and a pen. And he's, he's trying to mastermind his next tactic, his next move in games. He sees it like a game of chess. That's the type of manager you want at a football club because they will break things down to the absolute minute detail that you know what your next move is going to be. One of, one of the big things with Silver at the minute is the substitutions he makes. I don't know if any, any of your listeners or yourself watched the Burnley game at the weekend, but we didn't take Morgan Schneider enough until the 83rd minute and put Andre Gomez on. Just an absolute waste of a substitution seems, to make seven, just, seven minutes. He seems he seems to persist with Schneider. And, and listen, I said I I listen to podcasts where Everton lads are on, um, and and the, the Morgan Schneider name comes up literally every yeah. week. You know the kind of way. So he could be just. I don't know. We could see something that that we don't see, and you know. But I, I don't. I don't think it is like that. But look, Dave, I just think it's a complete lack of alternative in there, Gav. Because he, he'll persist with Schneider, and he probably shouldn't be in a, shouldn't have been in the club for the last two years. He'd have left if somebody had given him an offer, and I think the club would have happily seen him go. Yet we're still in a nutshell, four hundred million pounds down the line, and Morgan Schneider, who's surplus to requirements, is still starting games. That that's the that that is Everton in a nutshell right now. It's it just it's just so mismanaged. Yeah, no, it really is. It really, really is. Um, the, the people in the chat are starting to wonder where I'm from. They're having a, I don't know, my accent's gone all, all crazy during this conversation. <laughs> I really don't. It's ranged from all over Ireland, to be perfectly honest. Um, but look, it's, um, Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about yeah, everything. Absolutely. It's, it's been, uh, it's been really good. A lot of insight. And, and as I promised people before the show, very straight talking from you, very honest from you. Um, I'd like to say I wish you all the best for the rest of the season, but I can't. <laughs> I can't. Oh, I can't. Come on, I, I you've can't. got to wish us something, mate. I wish us. I, I wish us some luck. Yeah, I tell you what, you're, you're 17 points ahead of us after eight games. You can wish us some luck. I'm sure no one will be grudging us that. Yeah, no. But listen, <laughs> it'd be like me. It'd be like me saying asking you to go down to uh, to church and light a candle for Liverpool to win the title. It's not going to yeah. happen. You know. Well, if um, it made us, if it made us any better, mate, I'm willing to try anything. <laughs> set the church on fire. Um, <laughs> but, but look, no, it's been it's it genuinely it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Um, yeah, I hope. Too, listen, um, before the Everton game at Anfield on November fourth, is it? 
December 4th. December 4th. December 4th. Um, I'll try to get you back on and we'll have a Absolutely. little chat before that game. And listen, um, the fortunes of both their sides may have changed or stayed the same or, or could be completely and utterly different. We don't know, but we'll have a look yeah. at that before the game starts. Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure. That has been the Fatback 4 Daily for today, Wednesday. I will speak to you all tomorrow at 10pm as usual. Talk to you then. Over and out. Sports Social Podcast Network.